Welcome to the HTLL podcast. We are your co-hosts, Tino Movuti, Technical Advisor for Water, Sanitation and Hygiene. And Emily Hirata, Technical Advisor for Health and Nutrition. In our last couple of episodes, we delved into the topic of SBC with Jason Brooks from ADRA International and then SBC in Emergencies with Peter Schmid from ADRA Yemen. Today, we'll be shifting that conversation to the COVID-19 pandemic. While this crisis has scourged countries all over the world, ADRA has had an impressive response. From projects in WASH to food security to health and psychosocial support and more, ADRA has been able to effectively serve millions of people across the world affected by the pandemic in a span of just a couple of months. To chat more about this, we have Michael Peach, based out of Australia and currently serving as the Global Emergency Coordinator for this network-wide global response to COVID-19. Michael has an extensive background in emergency management, both within ADRA in various capacities, as well as within the Australian government. He also currently sits on the ADRA Emergency Management Advisory Committee, more commonly known as EMAC, and also serves as a member of the Resilience Technical Learning Lab. Michael, welcome to the HTLL podcast. Thank you, Tino and Emily. It's, it's very nice to be with you today. Michael, we wanted to take just a few minutes today to ask you about this COVID-19 response that ADRA has had. Um, this seems like such a relevant topic for everyone. It's, it's, so, it's become so personal for so many. Um, so we thought it would be interesting to talk about this with you. And so to start, for those listeners of ours that may not be aware of this global initiative that ADRA has, can you expand on what exactly this is? What principles does it follow? What are we doing? Where are we working, et cetera? Sure. So from the outset, this was very much a, a health emergency. And it was, we've used the term unprecedented way too many times in the last 12 months. But this really was outside even address scope. Um, we are a, a network of 118 country offices. Uh, we, we have nine regions across the globe. We're used to responding to, to natural disasters. We, we do that really well. Um, a disaster happens immediately following that. We, we have a very linear approach. Uh, we... We conduct an initial response followed by a longer-term recovery. We transition back into development. Uh, we, 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 as a network, rally together and we, we uh, support the different regions that have been affected. What we found, though, with this health emergency that, that quickly escalated was that we couldn't take a linear approach, that our, our response protocols were not adequate, um, that we had not considered a truly global disaster response before. Um, and that that pushed all of our resources to the limits. Um, we, as, as Tino mentioned earlier, I sit on EMAC. We had to rewrite our response protocols to, to include a global response um, and to think very differently about, about how we would sustain um, the momentum for, for something that was so unpredictable. In terms of the principles that you asked about, Emily, um, I suppose that the key principle that we, we considered very early was 
the fact that we're no use to the communities we serve if we don't prioritise our own health and safety. We, um, we met with the network very early on and used the analogy of the oxygen mask on a plane. Um, when you're going through that, that pre-flight safety briefing, they, they always tell you to put your own mask on first before putting the mask on, on, on children you're with. Or, or others that are not able to. And we took that very seriously as that's about our guiding principle. We as a network um, in X number of countries, we're not going to be any use to the people we serve if we don't prioritise our own health and safety first. So from the early onset, we, we took that seriously um, and we used that model to, to say, well, we need a common strategy that is, is based on protecting our staff knowing our own realities, um, and then starting to look outwards into the communities, leveraging the, our church partnership um, and, and, and also the, the, the global network that we're part of. Our mandate from ADRA International's ADCOM was clear right from the beginning. It was to develop a common strategy to unite our network, um, to, to partner with the church where possible and to limit the impact of COVID-19 on the most vulnerable in our communities. With those three strategies in mind, uh, we were essentially given a, a blank sheet of paper and told to, as quickly as possible, um, come up with, with that common strategy that would hopefully unite our network. So if you look back on what we, we did over that, that time, um, particularly a year ago, we, would, we were looking at two very simple responses in um, Hong Kong and South Korea. We didn't know that this would become a global disaster. Um, but quickly by, by March, we were seeing a lot of the countries close their borders. Um, by April, we knew this was a, a global pandemic. Um, and we also recognised that ADRA did not have the funds to, to do a response in all 118 countries. So we needed to look at how we could uh, develop strategies to, to prioritise countries that were most affected, where we could get the most bang for our buck. Um, and the two, the two areas, uh, particularly from a health perspective, that, that came out very early in this, where we knew that the two strategies that we could put into place globally to support the 118 countries, first of all, was to look at the World Health Organisation. They in April last year, published a fantastic guideline um, on how countries could prepare to deal with the COVID pandemic. It had nine pillars. Uh, pillar number two was around risk communication and community engagement. We as a network do those two areas very well. Um, and so we encouraged all of our 118 country officers to, to focus on that pillar um, and the strategies underlying pillar number two, um, and to start to, to pivot all of their current development and humanitarian activities towards the areas of risk communication and community engagement, particularly focusing on wash, hygiene, sanitation, um, et cetera. The second area um, from a health perspective, but from a slightly different perspective, was business continuity planning. We encouraged all of our country officers to to reflect on the health of their office, the, the viability of their office to, to withstand um, periods of lockdown, to, to withstand periods of um, inactivity. 
would their funding, uh, would, did they have um, the, the ability to, to last six or 12 months uh, knowing that funding may be interrupted? So those two health initiatives very early on in the, the piece really, I think, set our country officers up into, and un, to understand their own personal realities um, and also then to be starting to think that this is not something that's going to go away in a hurry. It sounds like a, a really well-rounded approach. Um, I, I love that the, the analogy of the oxygen mask. I don't think I've heard that, but definitely important for sure. Yeah, well, look, if you look at, you know, nearly a year later now and um, in terms of what we've achieved, it's, it's been significant. We've you know, 96 countries um, where we have 422 projects. It's the, the numbers um, are quite astounding and that's that's really a, a testament to the country officers themselves who've really got behind the strategy um, and uh, delivered assistance to I think nearly 20 million people globally um, in in less than 12 months so it's quite exciting when when we start to get the reporting now coming together to, to show how the the network actually came together that we are stronger together and and that um, we're able to actually um, be quite proactive yeah absolutely um, I, I understand that there is an ADRA COVID-19 task force that works with you to drive this global response. Can you tell us who makes up this task force and how it functions? Sure. So at the beginning of March, I was asked to take on the, the role of the, the COVID coordinator. Um, and they asked me to, to think about this is this is ADRA International's ADCOM. They said, think about some people who you would like on your task force. We want a small, agile decision-making and strategic body um, just to not, not to replace any structures in, in ADRA, but essentially people that um, could stop their day jobs and really just put all of their attention into to coordinating this globally. Um, while I was thinking of, of potential people that we could bring into this, um, ADCOM actually said, we're actually giving you the three vice presidents. Um, so I said, oh, well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's really good. Um, that will serve as a, a really strong way to cut through to the network um, and, and to actually make decisions quickly. On top of the three vice presidents, um, we then reached out to three program professionals in our network, um, um, being Zavai, who's our programs director in our regional office in, in the Africa region, Annalyn, who is, who is a, a long-term ADRA professional that works with ADRA Canada, and Siri, um, who's been with ADRA for a very long time also, understands the network and, and particularly our, our donor office requirements. Um, and she's based in Sweden. So we ended up with a, a very interesting task force that over the, the, the height of the, um, the, the planning and the implementation, which was a period of 19 weeks, we were meeting daily um, across the, the various time zones um, and pulling that together. So it was a very intense period uh, in those early days. In terms of the actual task force itself, um, we knew right from the outset that whatever strategy that we developed, it, it couldn't be a one-size-fits-all approach. Um, we knew that we, we've got nine different regions. 
we're all, all of our country offices are being impacted in very different ways at different times. Um, so we needed something that was, was flexible, that allowed our country offices to, to see value in the work of a, a task force um, and to actually provide them with the tools and the certainty to actually start to lead in their, in their own countries in, the, in terms of a response. We were also very lucky. Now, the, the task force was not set up as a funding body. Um, we, initially, we had planned to rely heavily on our network of, of donor offices um, to, to fund disaster responses and, and to support the strategy. We quickly found that that would not be sufficient. And so we went back to ADRA International with a, with a plan Thankfully, Adra International gave us a what we call the war chest of $2.5 million to actually kickstart the strategy. The strategy that we developed was very simple, um, but we knew that without funding behind us to actually kickstart and, and get some momentum, we knew that this could, could lag and, and take some time to, to really gain traction and to, to be of use. So, the initial um, injection of the two and a half million dollars was was timely, um, and it helped us to really, really um, hit the ground running in those in those weeks. So, so by by April, we were actually um, doing good work in communities. Now, I also, just want to shout out: there was a task force, but a small group of of uh, people committed to this. But behind that, we also had Adra International's Emergency Management Unit, who were really the engine room. Um, for the the COVID response, they they programmed the funding, they vetted the proposals, um, they provided that that element of, of quality, um, and particularly also the regional offices there in in helping us roll this out in, in actually um, just record time. It was incredible when you look back how quickly we made this happen. Yeah, it's definitely really impressive. And the numbers, I mean, you had already mentioned 96 countries and 422 projects and 20 million beneficiaries in the span of just these few months. That's incredible. It's so, so impressive. As the one leading this initiative, can you tell us what has made this so successful? Is it is it the team effort that you're talking about? Is it that funding kickstart or, you know, is it the unification, um, yet, you know, the unifying yet flexible strategy? Like, is there anything specific that really made this so successful? Yeah, I think, I think so. I think there's three areas, particularly the, the, the people that we have on the ground. Uh, second, the technology that we used. And thirdly, probably uh, the simplicity, I think, of the strategy. So firstly, you look at the, the, the people it's a credit to our network and to our leaders. COVID created and still creates so much ambiguity. Um, we had more than 6,000 ADRA employees around the world um, who were looking for certainty last year, um, who were looking for job security. And at a personal level, we're probably looking, how do I keep my, myself and my family safe? Um, ADRA's... Uh, ADRA's role, particularly ADCOM, they acted very swiftly in those first few weeks uh, to create that certainty by establishing the task force, 
by approving the global strategy, um, by committing that initial $2.5 million um, to kickstart the network response, the rest is the rest is the, particularly the results. They are a credit to our country offices and and our small regional office teams. Um, so, in terms of the implementation, um, we we were the catalyst. Um, but in terms of our confidence in the network to deliver, they they delivered in spades. In terms of technology, which I think is has a really really just moved ahead in leaps and bounds over the last twelve months. Really, as a forcing function of COVID. Um, not you look at what we're doing now with Zoom. Uh, during the the height of COVID, we were hosting weekly teleconferences, video conferences on Zoom, um, for about sixteen weeks. And each week, we were hitting more than a hundred country offices who were who were online and participating in um, a weekly update. Now, obviously, Michael Kruger and, and the vice presidents were on there cheering that too. So it was really good to be getting that leadership and that direction from the pointy end of ADRA. Um, but in terms of the technology to bring people together and to collaborate and to be connected, I, I think it's moved significantly forward. Other, other platforms like Workplace, um, Facebook's Workplace, we're only using that. There's a COVID uh, platform there with nearly 300 users engaging on, on a regular basis. That's a fantastic strategy. Legalto, um, which is Adra's program management software, um, we're still we're still using that and it's emerging. But in terms of the metrics and data that we have collected and to create the, the, the story of impact that, that Adra has delivered over the last 12 months, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to cite the figures of the 422 projects, 96 countries, et cetera, if we weren't using the technology that we have, we have really embraced over the last 12 months. And finally, SurveyMonkey. Um, we ran two surveys uh, via the task force at the height of the, the COVID strategy last year. And as we were transitioning into a, a recovery, seeking responses from the network, we had 80% responses from our country offices, um, giving us valuable feedback, being a voice, um, influencing where, where we should take the strategy moving forward. And, and those simple tools, I think, have been very useful in terms of connecting our network. Finally, um, I think the third strategy that, that's been successful is the simplicity of the, the framework. It was based on four pillars those four pillars being know your reality, and we talked about that earlier in terms of both the reality and understanding the risk to your to your country officer's program, but also a personal risk um, and, and taking precautions to keep staff and, and families safe. From the outset, we were very keen that we don't lose any staff. We know how long it takes to recruit staff and to bring staff up to speed. So with, with the sort of the, the long-term pause that, that many countries are facing from, from COVID. Um, how do we keep our staff meaningfully engaged um, so we, we, we don't lose valuable staff and come out the end of this in a position where we then have to go on a recruiting drive because of, of a, a significant brain drain? The Love Your Neighbour, which was the second pillar of our of COVID's framework, 
you know, we needed to find new ways to reach the most vulnerable in our communities. Uh, there were all sorts of restrictions on how we worked, but we needed to be innovative and, and find new ways to continue to connect with them um, and, and, and to be relevant during the, what has been a significant uh, global event. The third pillar is around Grow Local, and I think we've been really successful in that in terms of how do we build partnerships with the church. Uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which is the parent body of ADRA. Um, and as I said earlier, 70% of the 422 projects that we've seen implemented relating to COVID over the last 12 months have been in partnership with the church, um, church institutions, church volunteers. So that's been really exciting. And if the fourth pillar is then how do we, how do we think global? How do we still connect to the 118 country offices that, that we uh, are as a network, but also sitting under the, uh, the church too, which, which has a, you know, a global membership of about 25 million people. So how do we use that footprint effectively um, to actually chase funding, to actually implement our projects? So I think those three areas have, have really helped us um, deliver the exciting projects we have over the last 12 months. I think, I suppose, I suppose one final point there that I did miss was the, our donor network. We, we have a number of uh, donor offices in our network, countries that are continually accessing funding from some of the, the more developed countries in, in the world. Um, we also wanted to put special attention and be very, very intentional with those country offices that they were not um, negatively impacted by COVID. We rely on them to, to fund the network. Um, and we, we knew that without their um, viability over the, the life of COVID, um, we would be coming out of the other end of, of the coronavirus in a, in, a, in a quite detrimental state. So there was a lot of work too also to to work with each of those donor offices to ensure that they were set up, um, that they had done their business continuity planning and to ensure that they we could mitigate any risks to their long-term viability um, and that they would still be a significant donor to our network uh, as, as COVID restrictions ease and, and we transition back to normal whenever that might be. Not to take away anything from this impressive, from all the impressive successes that you've just mentioned, what challenges have you encountered over these past several months leading out this global COVID-19 response? And could you say something about how you overcame these challenges? Yeah, I think the biggest, sort of reflecting on that question, the, the biggest challenge has been funding. Um, we, we, we ran two rounds of funding over, over a six-month period um, and after that agreed that everybody needed a break to actually apply uh, the, the funding and to actually start to deliver some, some results. I think not only was, was funding hard to come by, but uh, the, the success has been um, how we've leveraged that funding and... So initially when we got the $2.5 million, we thought, how are we going to actually turn this into something much more significant? And 
the challenge which which kept us awake for a few days thinking about how we do that um, was was overcome by by co-financing by leveraging by networking um, by matching by breaking that funding down into to um, incentivized funding opportunities and I think when we look back on that we turned that two and a half million dollars into nearly uh, 26 million dollars um, so I tell you what it's it's um, it's it's exciting to sort of look back on how we turned that those was it the five five fish and two barley loaves into to something <laughs> Um, it essentially God multiplied that money. Um, and when we look back on how well God multiplied our barley loaves and fishes, it is an, it's an incredible story. Um, so in hindsight, that God God answered the, the challenge there in terms of funding um, and multiplied our, our funding significantly. I think the other the other challenge and the ongoing challenge for us has been uh, data, capturing metrics. Um, we we were working in all of these countries. We we were blind. Um, we were a small task force saying where we're programming funding into ninety countries right now. Um, we've got no way of knowing what they're doing. It's going to be months before we hear feedback. Um, how do we start to get some real time indicators? some metrics to actually demonstrate they were actually having an impact on the ground. That was no small feat by a small team at Adra International too, um, with the Legalto team to actually start capturing that data. We had regions using different dashboards that weren't talking to each other. We were getting Excel spreadsheets sent to us. We were getting all sorts of um, weird and wonderful reports and to try and collate that into to one um, one picture of success was was a lot of work, and now we're starting to see that work being entered at, at a country office level on Legalto, and we're starting to see um, what is a really really exciting dashboard on Legalto um, for for where we're working, how many people we're we're supporting, etc. That's been a huge challenge, um, but. But also um, a wonderful forcing uh, function by COVID to actually move that forward quickly. Uh, when previously there there had been quite some inertia um, to actually transition to some of these technology solutions. I think personally for me the challenge has, has also been just the the fast pace of the task force. It's both the most exciting thing you could ever do, but it's also the most challenging thing. Um, we were working day and night with not a lot of sleep over that um, four-month period to, to try and deliver something um, that the network could uh, embrace. And so if you think back on the, the amount of work that we spent during that time, very exciting, but but that that is like a disaster response. So um, it's why we get up in the morning and do the work we do. I think the last thing in terms of me for a challenge is... How do we prioritise funding? We knew that we couldn't uh, fund all of the 118 country offices in our network. We we knew that we would get more bang for our buck in, in, in some countries over other countries. We knew that there was good funding in, in, in countries, other countries weren't getting any funding. 
many of the countries where we work are already in protracted conflict. They're affected by rapid or slow onset disasters like drought. They're hosting populations with multiple vulnerabilities, refugees, IDPs. Um, so it was already a complex global situation. How do, how do we make those tough decisions to fund some countries and, and not fund others? Um, that, that was particularly difficult uh, and challenging. But once again, having, having the, the wisdom and the honesty of the, uh, the, the small task force um, was particularly refreshing. Uh, they, 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 they knew the network um, and they were able to provide the advice and the direction that we needed to actually make these decisions quickly. Um, and hopefully we made the right decisions. Given that this podcast is an initiative of the ADRA Health Technical Learning Lab, some of our listeners may be interested specifically in health, nutrition and food security or WASH sectors. Can you describe what ADRA is doing um, or what ADRA has done as part of its response to COVID-19 in these specific areas? That's health, nutrition and food security and WASH. Yeah, definitely. So obviously um, the, the, the main activities that ADRA has done globally has been um, in those three areas, uh, whether it's um, health awareness, whether it's, it's WASH awareness, um, there's been lots of food security programming, um, particularly food parcels, cash vouchers, food assistance um, that's, that's been delivered. But also in terms of some of the, the, the larger projects that we've delivered, there was, there was a $6 million um, purchase of clinical personal protective equipment, PPE, that was donated or, or sent from the US to Africa um, for hospitals. Um, and it's exciting to be able to, to see that level. Of, I think there was about 16 ISO containers that were shipped to, to Africa um, with, with PPE of a, of a clinical standard um, to, to recognising there were already very much acute shortages in, in many of the, the hospitals in Africa. Um, so to be able to, to get that mobilised very early on in the, net, uh, in, in the response was exciting. Even just while we're in Africa, the the network of the, the church's 300 um, rural health facilities that we have in sub-Sahara Africa. Um, you know, these sort of footprints are so exciting to be able to talk to the UN and to large donors and say ADRA has um, a direct connection to, to 300 rural health facilities in sub-Sahara Africa. Um, that's really exciting. That, that sort of footprint is really gives us an advantage when we are when we are chasing funding and being a a sort of a, an NGO that can absorb large amounts of funding and deliver that to those who need it most. Um, you look at even through the 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 church's network with with Hope Channel um, and their their media communications, we've been able to reach millions, literally millions of people with health messaging through the, the church's TV and, and radio networks globally. In some countries, they, they have the largest digital television and radio footprint. Um, 
and we've been able to use that effectively to to do a lot of health awareness messaging um, in regards to to COVID destigmatization messaging, all sorts of um, ways that we've been able to reach um, incredibly with with health messaging. Um, even from from a sort of an internal perspective, the Adrasia region had a, a huge focus on on mental health. Um, for staff in the 17 country offices in their region. They developed a whole lot of tools and a regional task force that was much more internally focused on how do we maintain and sustain staff wellbeing. Um, and so that was exciting to see. Canada, um, another exciting example, a network of 40 churches across the nation of Canada were able to deliver 30,000 food parcels um, and sort of food security to, to people who were who are doing it tough as a result of, of COVID. It, you know, it's simple ways like that where we've actually leveraged the partnership with the church and with volunteers to actually um, be actually very relevant um, in the communities that we serve. Finally, I think Russia, um, you know, there was... a from a health perspective, and, and there still is ongoing debate over the efficacy of, of, of face masks. Um, very early on, Adra said, we have a lot of people who are out of work. Um, we have a lot of people knocking on our doors saying that their livelihoods have been terribly impacted by COVID. We also have hospitals who are saying we have, we have very poor or limited access to PPE. They solved that problem by, by setting up an incredible network of, of volunteers to, to sew face masks um, and to deliver those face masks uh, to the hospitals and to first responders across Russia. Um, so, you know, little, little things like that have, have, have had a, a significant impact um, and have really positioned ADRA in Russia um, longer term to be a significant um, partner and a credible partner with the with the, the Ministry of Health um, following COVID-19. So there's been a lot of silver linings that have come as a result of innovation, initiative, um, and thinking outside the box for how we can be relevant in, in communities at such a time as this. Um, since we started doing this podcast, I've noticed that this next question is always a little difficult for guests to answer. I guess it's sort of like having to pick which of your children is your favorite, but I'll ask it anyway. From all the amazing work that you've highlighted, which of these responses to the pandemic have particularly stood out for you? Ah, uh, Yes. I think um, the, the one that stands out to me is is one that's uh, not finalised yet. It's it's um, it's it's ongoing, um, but it's really exciting because uh, of its potential. So, at the middle of last year, we we recognised that uh, mental health was was really becoming an emerging issue um, as a result of COVID, particularly with young people, um, and. The, uh, the 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 team in in South America, particularly our regional office, and the team in in Brazil, said, "How can we how can we solve this this problem?" 
they were successful in the, uh, applying for a grant um, through the task force, but also leveraging that with, with funding um, from the UN um, and also from the Adventist Church to start to develop a, an app an app that will be delivered uh, via both both Apple and Android. Um, it actually is a mental health app that connects um, individuals very much like Uber does uh, with, with health professionals. And it has an escalation process. So if you're just wanting to talk to somebody, you may be talking to uh, a, a, a psychological first aid person, somebody with limited training, but who can be somebody to chat to that can escalate then to a, a peer support network um, somebody who has who has more training um, through to escalating to a mental health practitioner uh, somebody who 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 can deal with much more uh, acute uh, mental illness um, and that that is somebody who you can connect with in your area um, you can you can be anonymous you can keep it simple um, and so that has been done in, in relation or in partnership with the Adventist University in Brazil, with the health networks in Brazil, um, and also an Adventist uh, tech firm in Brazil who are actually building the app. They will trial it. They're already trialing it, um, obviously, with, with, with a Portuguese language interface. But the plan is that this will become a global tool that, that Adra will have access to um, that can be used in multiple languages. Um, and used as one of our, our men mental health strategies um, in in many of our country offices as, as part of the toolkit. So we're excited about the potential for that. Um, that was started in about July last year um, and is being tested at the moment. So hopeful that that will be something that will be rolled out more um, permanently to the ADRA network uh, later this year once it's been tested and and um, approved um, by the necessary bodies that that, that uh, oversee this sort of thing. But um, at this stage, that's a very exciting health health initiative that I think um, has much longer lasting impacts than some of the our, our sort of simple initial responses that we've done. Other areas that have stood out to me, um, I do want to recognise the the role of the health TLL. Um, the work that this health TLL has done is significant. Um, it, you've really, you guys have really set the benchmark for the technical learning labs in the ADRA network. The work that you have done, the webinars, the series, um, the products, the resources that you have collectively developed um, in between your day jobs um, is really exciting, particularly that we have now as, as, a, as a toolkit for the network. I think the other area, the other, the other when reflecting on this question was was our friend in Paraguay. I don't know if any of you know Joao Abadia um, in Adra, Paraguay. He has been a prolific um, implementer. His level of industry and his small team uh, in, the, in the work that he's doing, connecting with the government, being relevant in the community, particularly with the health focus. Um, so if any of the uh, other country officers are listening to this podcast and are saying, who, who's, who's the shining bright star? Who's setting the benchmark? Where can we, we learn from um, ways to actually implement the COVID framework that ADRA put in place? Have a talk to Joao. He's been doing some fantastic work um, 
and um, really, really needs to be commended for the for the um, the level of, of industry that he's been able to achieve over the last six months. I can see why um, some of these things have stood out to you. It, it's all so incredible. I feel like that. I feel like I could talk about this with you all day. <laughs> um, but as we wrap up. Um, are there any final thoughts that you would like to share with our listeners? Anything that we haven't covered or maybe something that you have covered but want to emphasize? Just any final thoughts? Yes, definitely. So um, the, the COVID strategy was developed last year and we gave it a 12-month life. Um, and when we did give it a 12-month time frame, there were those that were saying, oh, it won't last that long. Um, Sadly, the COVID strategy, response strategy that we developed will expire in March 2021. Um, the task force is ongoing. We will review the efficacy of the last 12 months, what worked well, what, what didn't. But I would really encourage country offices and regional offices and the various network working groups to also start thinking about this. What's worked well? What hasn't? If we were to do this again, what would we do differently? So um, in your groups, in your thinking over the next couple of months, if there are opportunities to do, to debrief, um, to ask the, the, the critical questions, why, why did this work well, why didn't it, um, and to collate that, we would, we would love to hear from you. Um, I'd be also very interested in talking more with the, the health TLL, particularly in terms of how can we as an ADRA network develop strategies to improve our resilience to future pandemics? This one took us by surprise. Um, there could be another coronavirus in 2023. What have we learned that we can put in place um, and sustain that will put us in a better position as a network to, to be more resilient to these future global shocks? So I think that they would be my sort of two takeaway messages for the for the network. In terms of my final thoughts, in terms of planting the seed for where to for the task force in 2021. Um, those those of you who were involved or, or were following the task force last year, in September we we um, we had Netcom's approval for a transition to recovery. And that transition to recovery was focused on education and livelihoods. Um, now, those two areas, very little has progressed in terms of a global recovery strategy, purely because of the protracted nature of the COVID-19 pandemic. And the fact that we're now looking at global vaccination rollouts. So logic in terms of we're not going to have any traction with, with, with longer-term recovery, with health, livelihoods, education. None of ADRA's longer-term recovery strategies are going to have any traction this year until there is global confidence with vaccinations. Um, whether you're pro-vaccinations, whether you are not supportive of vaccinations, I don't think that's really the issue at this stage, but... The, the number one topic on everyone's lips in 2021 will be global vaccination rollout. 
what what role can ADRA play? What enabling role can ADRA play with vaccination rollout? What can we do in terms of vaccination trust, vaccine awareness, um, advocacy, health advocacy? How can we work with civil society leaders as champions um, to build trust with communities? ADRA does um, community engagement so well, you know, all, all, all of the sort of the, the toolkit that we have around participatory rural engagement, um, bottom-up approaches, um, being, being, giving communities a voice, co-designing programs, you know, all of these things that we do really, really well are going to be very instrumental this year in terms of um, building that, that awareness and helping us remove the, some of these barriers because we won't be in a position to do any education work, any livelihoods work, any food security, health, economic recovery um, until there is global confidence in, in vaccinations. So it's an opportunity for us to, to, to get behind this, um, to be the civil society um, champions that, that, that ADRA can be in helping government and some of these international partners to, to actually roll this out. So there are a number of opportunities for us, e even the, the concept of Last Mile, um, particularly here where I am in the Pacific, uh, ADRA is a key partner of the UN, um, particularly in, in the Last Mile concept. The UN and a lot of the governments say we can get humanitarian assistance 90% of the way into communities. That last mile, that last 10% is where we rely on civil society, NGOs to help us identify who are the most vulnerable, who needs our assistance, and to ensure that that's done in an inclusive um, way and, and an effective way. ADRA and other NGOs can, can play that last mile concept for vaccinations um, in an enabling role globally in 2021. I think if, if we, if we um, move quickly in this space, uh, we can position the global ADRA network, our footprint with, 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 uh, with the church and the, the, the health network that the, the, the church is very proud of globally. Um, I think there are some exciting opportunities for us to partner and to play that enabling role in uh, the vaccination rollout and, and helping that to, to happen quicker and then looking at what then happens after that, how we then position to then look at our recovery strategies around livelihood, education, health and economic recovery. So I see that as sort of a, a, sort of a phased approach uh, starting as soon as possible. We need to be involved in the vaccination rollout um, in the plan to then be in a position to address and start working on our recovery strategy. So until we cross that barrier, um, then anything that we're planning into the longer term recovery strategy, I just don't think is going to happen. Definitely some some important thoughts for us and our listeners to to think about for sure. Michael, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today on ADRA's global COVID-19 response. It's It's been really interesting to hear about this exciting initiative that's 
been so successful thus far and um, so amazing. And it just, it makes me really proud to work for ADRA. And um, it's just, it's just a testament to how God definitely is blessing ADRA's efforts for sure. So thanks, thanks for being willing to share with us today and with our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And thank you for asking the really good questions. <laughs> if you would like to learn more about ADRA's COVID-19 response or other topics regarding health, nutrition, and WASH, feel free to contact the Health Technical Learning Lab at healthtll.adra.org. To listen to other episodes of the HTLO podcast, please find us and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or visit the podcast folder on the TLL eNet site. With that, I'm Emily. And I'm Timo. And thanks for listening. And join us next time for another episode on the HTLL podcast.